بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد المبارك وسلم We are in Surah Al-Qasas, Surah 28, in Ayah number 62. Surah Al-Qasas translates as the story. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Al-Qajim, Bismillahi Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. وَيَوْمَ يُنَادِيهِمْ فَيَقُولُ أَيْنَ شُرَكَائِيَ الَّذِينَ كُنْتُمْ تَزْعُمُونَ قال الذين حق عليهم القول ربنا هؤلاء الذين أغوينا أغويناهم كما غوينا تبرأنا إليك ما كانوا إيانا يعبدون الله سبحانه وتعالى takes us to the day of judgment in the previous ayah ayah 61 he mentions the day of judgment that Allah سبحانه وتعالى will bring forward those whom he promised good things in the world hereafter. And now as uh, an extension of that discussion, the other side, meaning those people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not promised any good uh, in the hereafter, any hasana, what will their fate be? So remember the day when he will call him Meaning Allah will call these people who disbelieved in him and rejected his signs. Allah will then say, Aina Where are those companions, uh, partners of mine that you assumed were my partners? Where are they today in front of me? Uh, they are not to be found. So when the, those people upon whom the word has been now established, meaning on the Day of Judgment, when all these secrets are revealed and all the realities are exposed, and people will see whether they were good or bad in terms of their aqidah, in terms of believing whether Allah is one, or, or who is close to him and who is not close to him. There, there will be in a position of defense all the time and they will have to concede to the truth and then they will be forced to say the following that our Lord, these are the people who led us astray so they will point to them that this person who told me to do this and this person who told me to do this uh, these are the ones who are the guilty ones and they are the ones who led us astray. So as you know, there's a rule in divine theology, and that is, no one bears the burden of anyone else. So in divine theology, in the divine order, if you have now committed a sin, that is your burden. That is not anyone else's to carry. So if you have committed the sin of associating partners with Allah that is on you you cannot point fingers at others so we led them astray just as we have been led astray meaning they will blame them and say that uh, we were not totally responsible 
So today we are now uh, disassociating ourselves totally from them, and we declare our innocence, as Pickford's translation says, whatever uh, they never worshipped. They were not the ones that uh, were worshipping us. So the people whom they will claim misled them, they will also disassociate themselves from these people who uh, claim that they were the guilty ones. So the follower and the followed both will disassociate themselves from each other and they will not know uh, they won't want to know anything about each other they will blame each other so this is how we see aqidah and divine theology in Islam that you are responsible for your own salvation and for your own najat and you must make sense of whatever it is that you are making sense of in terms of understanding the divine, relating to the divine, and so on. وَقِلَ دْعُوا شُرَكَاءَكُمْ فَدَعَوْهُمْ فَلَمْ يَسْتَجِيبُوا لَهُمْ وَرَاءُوا الْعَذَابِ وَأَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَحْتَدُونَ And it will be said, cry out and call out those partners of yours and then petition them, supplicate, make dua to them and then they will not answer them and then they will see the punishment in front of them so whatever imagination they had and whatever thoughts they had whatever hallucination they had in this world about whom they should and should not worship those thoughts, ideas will be revisited on the day of judgment because the day of judgment exposes everybody so on this day when everything is exposed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now we know whom you really worshipped and if you truly worshipped them, they should be able to help you here today. But they will not respond. And since they will not respond, the punishment will be right in front of them as the punishment for their crime will become self-evident. Okay. If only they had been rightly guided. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almost lamenting the idea that they did not use their minds and their intellect and their courage to come up against those who seemingly guided them and caused them to do different things in the world, okay, claiming that it is for the best and for the greater good and it is to do this and to that. So each man is responsible for his own destiny on the day of judgment. So individual responsibility, accountability, is a very big theme in the Qur'an. So yes, you will be under peer pressure. And you might be under social and cultural pressure. You might even be under political pressure. And God forbid sometimes, you might be under legal pressure. But you should use your own God-given mind and rationale to understand and uh, maneuver your life in such a way that you are not found guilty on the Day of Judgment. This is what guidance means. Yeah. And 
And then on that day, when all the realities are exposed, okay, he will call unto them. Either Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself directly, or through an angel, he will say, What did you respond to the messengers? What answer did you give to those who called you towards God and towards a better life in the hereafter? What was your answer to them? So we need to know, because we have already recorded and documented whatever it is, is uh, had been said and had been done. But this is a day of judgment. Okay. You are now going to stand in front of the person who wants to judge you. And therefore there is justice. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not punish anyone without taking a hisab from them. Right? So that is the meaning of hisab of that day. And that if Allah wants to punish you, he will say, okay, why don't you answer and respond to this uh, allegation, accusation against you? If you respond, uh, then if you are found guilty, this one. So, we sent messengers, Allah will say, and those messengers came to remind you and came to guide you because they said they represent Allah. And they are sent by Allah. They are ambassadors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do you say to them? What are your response to them? Either in the form of being in the company of the Prophet Muhammad directly or through the Sahaba the Tabi'een who came to you with the message. And now you have access to the Quran, you have the internet, you have Facebook, you have everything at your disposal. You know everything there is to know about Allah, about Muhammad, and you also know everything there is to know about people who condemn Allah and Muhammad through cartoons. What did you respond to that? What was your response? Meaning the confirmation of the message being delivered is very evident today. Okay? Unless you really don't watch the news. Unless you really don't engage in surfing on the internet. Unless you're so busy that you don't have time for anything. It is not possible in this country for someone to say that he did not hear about Allah or Muhammad, or Islam, or the Qur'an. Right. So now this is how the message is delivered. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delivers the message either through this way or that way. The message is delivered. With the Prophet ﷺ being in this world, uh, he is the last messenger. They were face to face. When he left this world, then there were others who now in his stead came and said, we believe in him, and we believe in the Qur'an, and we believe in Allah. Weren't you curious enough to say and to ask, what is this? And then when that whole religion civilization was being disparaged, and condemned and criticized, and you were part of that machine, what was your response? Did you not inquire through your inquisitive, curious mind as to perhaps, is there reality behind this? Mada ajabtum al-mursali. How did he respond to the messengers? Uh, Abu Hanifa's opinion is that the uh, warning may come either through a physical okay, prophet or through the mind, the intellect. And we see this today very openly and very vividly. So on that day, all the news and all the reports they had will now become non-existent. And they'll be blinded from that. They will not be able to respond 
because they know they are guilty. And that day, they will not be able to ask each other. No one will testify as a part of intercession for or against someone when that hisab is there. There will be other occasions on the Day of Judgment when people will ask and intercede. But at this time, when Allah through the angels is questioning everybody as to what they did or what they did not do, they will not have the assistance of an attorney, of a witness, of their mother, their father, or their family, or anyone else. They will be alone in front of Allah. And this is known as being alone with Allah on the Day of Judgment, and this will happen to everybody, whether they are, mashallah, allowed to go into Jannah, may Allah make us amongst those, or whether they are going to be questioned and interrogated further. And this process will be there. So on that day, you will not be allowed to take your entourage with you, and you won't have the support of your community, your family, your ideology, your philosophy, your country and anything else. You will then be there alone. They will not be able to question or ask each other what is the correct response to this. You will have to answer your own. Okay, so now this is now freedom on the Day of Judgment. You are free to answer yourself. You will, need, you will not need an intermediary. And that usually is not a good thing when you're not allowed to seek the assistance of others. Okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow the Prophet وسلم, and other Prophets and uh, other Sahaba and other ulama and others to intercede eventually. But at this time, when there's one-on-one conversation with Allah, there will be no one else there. So this is a moment, an occasion on the Day of Judgment that everybody will dread. Even the Prophets will dread this occasion. They will not be able to ask each other. So, what is now the divine rule? As for those who repent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taken into account of the reality that human beings are weak and the reality that they do commit sins. So then he has another institution called the institution of Tawbah. That gate is open for all human beings to enter. If they choose to enter and they repent and they are remorseful in this world and they ask Allah to forgive them and then they change and they believe and they do good deeds, then it is quite probable and possible that they will be amongst those who are successful. It is quite hopeful that they will be amongst those who are successful. They will have falah and prosperity in the other world. So, even though Allah subhanahu wa is going to be uh, the judge, in this world he still will not judge because the doors and the gates of Tawbah are still open until that day comes. So this is now a glad tiding for everybody that you have Tawbah. This is one. وَرَبُّكَ يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ وَيَخْتَارُ مَا كَانَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَةِ سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَتَعَالَى عَمَّا يُشْرِكُونَ And your Lord, O Muhammad وسلم, He is the one who creates whatever He wills and wishes. وَيَخْتَارُ And He is the one who chooses. They do not have any prerogative in any choice. 
as far as the divine rule and the divine authority and the proceedings on the day of judgment and how to regulate and run the nizam, the system of the world and the system of the akhirah that is all Allah's prerogative so one way to translate this is they have uh, no prerogative instead of what what is usually mentioned choice anyway subhanallah Allah is glorified Allah is very much exalted above any uh, insinuation that he doesn't have a choice he has absolute choice he has regal choice he has constitutional choice he has the ultimate prerogative of doing what he wills and he is very very much removed from whatever it is that they associate with him so this is an eye which is loaded as you can see with theology and everything else that we discuss in Kalam and uh, theological issues so here Allah is seen to be someone who um, is the the three three prongs here of the discussion one is your Lord so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everybody's Lord as this story is about Musa salam who went to inform Fir'aun who said that I am your highest Lord I am Ana Rabbukum Ala Allah says to Muhammad that I am your Lord just as I am the Lord of Musa and the Lord of Fir'aun that this is the way your life has been so far and that was my choice He creates whatever he wills so now the choice that Musa should be in the palace of the Fir'aun and the choice that the Fir'aun should raise Musa in his palace and the choice that Musa will be uh, coming back to Fir'aun to bite the hand that fed him <laughs> apparently that is Allah's choice not anyone else's okay? that plot is whose? Allah's you don't have a say in that Musa didn't have a say in that Musa's mother had no say in that Firon had no say in it so now in your own life O Muhammad Allah is your Lord Allah is your Lord so he chose you to be an orphan and he chose you to be from the Quraysh and he chose you to be raised by Abu Talib and he chose you to become a Nabi and he chose that Abu Talib should not be a Muslim all of this he, he has total prerogative uh, executive uh, uh, credentials and um, powers to execute whatever he wants to he creates whatever he wants to that is the truth then he chooses chooses what? chooses his Nabi chooses his prophet so now, in the, the, the world of cause and effect, if you were to say, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, if we were to plot the downfall of Fir'aun, had we not known this story and somebody gave you a hypothetical scenario, there's a very ruthless tyrant out there somewhere in the Sahara Desert and he needs to be now taught a lesson our plot and our script will be very different we send a few um, uh, fighter jets and throw a few bombs and that's the end of the story right that's our plot 
Why? Because we're very limited, we're shallow. We don't see what's beyond and what's before, what's after. We're not God. So human uh, prerogatives are very, very limited because their knowledge is limited. Right? Allah's prerogatives are supreme and absolute because His knowledge is supreme and absolute. You could not have figured out a better plot to now uh, destroy Fir'aun other than the plot that Allah subhanahu wa has written. And why is that? Because Allah gave Fir'aun plenty of opportunities to repent. Is that so? Plenty of occasions to repent. The fact that his own wife told him to take on a boy from the Hebrew in his own palace was the first sign. But he didn't see it. He had the choice. He chose not to see it. He said, well, my own wife said, maybe I shouldn't be killing all of these people. Why not? My wife says, I want you to raise one of them. Right? And usually men listen to whom? The wife. And now there's Firon the king, and his wife is the queen. And usually the king would listen to the queen as a personal advisor. Firon didn't do that. Now, could we have come up with that plot? No. It's not his wife. It's Yachluk your Lord, because he's a Lord. He raises, he fosters, he rears. He knows what's coming before and after, so he knows it. I'm going to give Firaun a chance to repent, despite the fact that he's already executed and murdered hundreds of people. That is Allah's now choice, Allah's prerogative, which he uh, executed to perfection. And this is what Allah is saying to Muhammad. Then the whole story. We don't have to repeat the whole story, but every phase of the story you'll see that Allah is playing the Lord of the Rabb and He is executing His choice to create this, this and that. What is the reason? That Firaun has ample opportunity for tawbah and repentance and reformation and conceding that Allah is the Lord, even at the time when He was there at the Red Sea and he saw the Red Sea parting. Even at that time, if he said, okay, now I believe that Musa is right and his Lord is my Lord, Allah would not have punished him. Even at that time. But he didn't. That's the way Allah chooses whom he wants to guide and whom he does not want to guide. That is Allah's prerogative and no one else's. Likewise with you, O Muhammad, you were raised by Abu Talib, although he was nowhere near a tyrant. He was the kindest man for you in your life. After, uh, before Khadija, then after Khadija. Okay. So this is how we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala playing his role as the chief executor in everyone's life. And O Muhammad wasallam, you must not despair because your Lord's choice is the best choice. He made you a Nabi and a Prophet. That was his choice. And you are his choice. Human beings don't have that choice. Human beings, if they want to choose a leader, they have a choice in, uh, in different ways. 
either through democracy or through the parliamentary system, or they concede to the monarch or whatever. They have a choice. Okay, but their choice uh, ends up usually in failure because human beings will always be human beings and that is the nature of government. And likewise, the uh, people don't have the choice uh, with regards to who their mothers and fathers are and where they are raised initially and so on. P other people uh, now do that. So when the baby is born, does the baby say to the mother and father, I don't want to be raised in this country? No. Where is the freedom of the child then? When you say freedom for, where is the freedom of the minor? The state doesn't give that freedom to the minor. Why? Because they're not there yet. Yeah. So like Allah subhanahu is saying to human beings, you're not there yet to be God. So you don't have the freedom to be God. Rabb, see, how to raise and how to foster and how to develop uh, people. So Allah says, subhanAllah, Allah is much more glorified than what people might assume, that they can actually play the role of them being their own gods in their own lives. That is false. That they're associating themselves in the divine prerogative to execute their lives the way they want to. Now, many things are outside of our reach in this world. We do have a little bit of choice, freedom of will and volition as we call it. But all of that is under the umbrella of what Allah has already created for you. He's already created the ambience and the environment and uh, everything else, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planet, the earth, the water, the rain and the food for you so that he used those ni'am in amat and gifts to make your choice even though that choice is very limited. So if you're stuck somewhere, God forbid, in a place where you do not have the right to vote or you don't have the ability to excel in education or business because of external circumstances that are beyond your control, then that choice is not yours. That choice is Allah's. He placed you there. So you have to now come to terms with that reality. You can't say why. Never mind why. You're there. Right? If God forbid you are drowning, then you don't ask the question why you're drowning. Why does God do this to me? I mean, save yourself first, then worry about that question, theological question later on. Get yourself out of that rut. Right? Instead of questioning God. So if you're in an economic rut, or a social rut, or a personal life crisis, you don't sit there feeling sorry for yourself and say, why does God do this for me? Get out, climb out from that rut, and then ask the question. That's That limited volition you do have, you can't sit there crying about your own uh, destiny. What, what the action is, is that you get out of it. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises people as individuals and also as societies. That's his choice. The way he chooses to raise us is this way, and the way he chooses to raise people in Indonesia is that way. He chooses. They don't choose. Now, if the opportunity comes where, mashallah, you're afforded a green card, then you come. And you make that choice. And there are others in the world who have the opportunity to come here, and they don't come. That's their choice. 
Right? You have to work with this tension that I have limited choice, but everything around my choice has already been dictated by Allah. Why? Because He's my Lord. Musa did not have the choice to be raised anywhere except where? In the Pharaoh's palace, because if he was raised anywhere except there, he would have been killed. Right? That's Allah's choice. So you have to play with the divine and uh, the human uh, free will. So human free will is there, but it's limited by what? Allah's creation around that person. And Allah's now choice is absolute. It is his prerogative. He does what he wants to do and he creates what he wants to create. He is much more elevated than what people give him credit for. He is the absolute creator because his knowledge is absolute. This is an ayah for the Prophet ﷺ. Very specifically as the address is to him. Your Lord. Uh, and by extension now it's addressing us as we read the ayah that when we look into our own individual lives our lives are not the results of everything we chose certain elements were already chosen for us there's no way to get out of that and Allah does that because there's a reason he wants you to move from this level of iman to this level or from this place to this place in your spiritual journey or coming to terms with reality around you where you become a better person so he's coaching you he's developing you he's nurturing you he's raising you Rabb that's what he's doing so he has a personal uh, affiliation with you so you must see this as Allah being close to you my Lord my Rabb is doing this with me he's supervising and he knows then, وَرَبُّكَ يَعْلَمُ مَا تُكِنُّ صُدُورُهُمْ وَمَا يُعْلِنُونَ And your Lord knows whatever their hearts hide and whatever their hearts expose their bosoms. Referring to people who want to hurt the Prophet So Allah knows all of that. So he, he, his knowledge is absolute. And through his absolute knowledge, he knew how to put you in this position in this situation. At the same time, you must also know that your Lord knows whatever is the intention of those who want to harm you. That's also part of his rububiyah. That's also part of his lordship, part of his scheme to raise you and to help you develop yourself. So there were many enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, as you know, and Allah is referring to those that Allah knows what they have in their minds, their schemes, their plots, and so on. So you must take comfort from Allah's knowledge and say that Allah will take care of me. However, if there's an occasion for you to protect yourself, you must do so because that's within your reach. If you don't do that, then you can't blame God for not helping you when you were able to help yourself. There again, see the duality there. Okay, you see this now, the issue that where I have a choice, I must act. And where I don't have a choice, I cannot act. Therefore, I rely only, only on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he knows that he's put me in this situation, position where the Quraysh will come after me, after Abu Talib. Okay? Obviously, as you know, this surah was revealed after Abu Talib's death. And now the uh, situation is very different. He had no family support left. He had no leverage left 
through his family and he was destined uh, to be executed had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not protected him. And these uh, thoughts and ideas were now brewing and they had been brewing in the minds of the Quraysh and other people and Allah is informing him, Allah knows what they want to do but you must take precaution in as much as you can and the rest is in Allah's hands. So he's still there. Rabbuka, your Lord. وَهُوَ اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ لَهُ الْحَمْدَ فِي الْأُولَى وَالْآخِرَةِ وَلَهُ الْحُكْمُ وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْيَعُونَ Then you must know Muhammad وسلم, that it is he and he alone who, uh, with whom there is no other except himself. There is no God besides him. There is no deity besides him. There is no one worthy of worship and divine respect except him. So we all succumb to authority uh, in some way, shape or form. Everybody does. So if you're a child, you will succumb to authority of the parent. If you're now an employee, you will succumb to the authority of the employer. And if you are a ruled person, meaning a citizen of a country, you will, or you should, okay, observe the executive powers of the country. <laughs> if you don't, then that's at your risk. The law will come after you, as they say. Right? So, you will then succumb to the authority of the law and to the government, and so on. So here Allah subhanahu wa is saying to Muhammad sallallahu that when it comes to worship and divine authority, no one has that right except Allah subhanahu wa So he trumps all authority. And what is the most sacred authority? It is the authority to say that worship me. People who have authority and power, their end goal is that people worship them. Right? Nobody says, I'm in the game of becoming a leader because uh, I'm a very noble, humble person. Right? No. You're not a leader because you're noble and humble. You're a leader because you want uh, to be liked, you want to be uh, praised, you want to be glorified, and you want to be worshipped at every level. Husband, wife, uh, the father, mother, son, daughter, your aunts, uncles, uh, grandfather, granddaughter, whoever it is in society, your boss, your CEOs, and the state, and then the government. Don't do anything we don't want you to do. So, anyway, so there is that uh, issue of glorification of the nafs. So, Allah Hada is saying to the, the Prophet Muhammad, the only one who can be glorified simply because he exists is Allah. Independent and regardless of what he does. Just because he is who he is, you must worship him. Only he has that, right? And this is the meaning of this ayah. And it's referenced so many times in the Quran. And each time it's referenced is for a different reason. There's a different style, there's a different mode, and there's a different mood. Here the mode and mood is that only Allah has the exclusive right to be worshipped simply because He is who He is. Illa huwa. Because of His existence. Okay. That word huwa, referring to Allah subhanahu wa means simply that. That absolute existence belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Absolute authority and knowledge belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore the absolute right to say, to worship me, belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you should do so. And when you do so, what will happen? He will become your Lord. He will raise you and uh, he will now grade you very favorably. 
if you believe in him. If you don't believe in him, then he will raise you, but he will not grade you favorably. He might just give you an F. Yeah, that's the end of the story. He failed. Failure. Fashal. <laughs> Fashal in Arabic means failure, which also begins in an F. <laughs> so whether you're from this culture, that culture, you have an F. Fashal. You failed. So here we, we see the, the, the Prophet ﷺ being raised by his Lord in such a way that he, he continues to love Allah despite the circumstances and the, the rights and these tests and trials and tribulations. So it is at the time of tests and tribulation that your Iman will now be exposed if you fail during trials and tribulations, then you know that your iman needs a little bit of work. Right? Either surgery, or maybe some medicine, or maybe some just moral support, whichever level you fail at. Here, the Prophet of Allah doesn't want the Prophet to fail. He's saying that I'm going to give you this story, the story, and that is that um, Musa who was, should not have existed after birth, and Fir'aun, who did exist, okay, when the two came together, Musa lived and survived, and Fir'aun perished. That is a huge story. And you are facing a similar story here in Mecca before you migrate, make Hijrah to Medina, uh, that people want to kill you. So remain firm and constant in your Iman and belief in Allah, because Allah is the one whom you should worship and love simply because he is independent of what he does. Okay? Human beings are attached to those who favor them. Right? So Allah is saying, I have favored you because you worship me. That's the first favor. And that is perhaps the only favor you should be thinking of during these times. If nothing else is going right for me, I know I can still worship Allah. I know I can do my salah on time. That's a great favor. And that is how you, you give yourself moral discipline, and this theological discipline, and this is now how you engage in ibadah at the time of trial and tribulation. This is how the Prophet was. So at every instant in his life, he worshipped Allah more than the previous one. That the second is going to be better for you than the first. So now you're going through progression, you're climbing the ladder towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as you know, the higher the mountain, the harder the climb. So now your mountain, O Muhammad, is so high, you're going to reach the heights of all heights. And therefore your trials and tribulations will be according to your himmah, according to your determination and your focus in on Allah and focus towards Him. And this is how Allah raised Muhammad to the heights of Abudiyah and Abdiyah as he remained Allah's servant throughout his life. Anyway, see so this one. Number two, Lahul Hamdu fil Ula that to him along him alone belongs praise, whether it's in the beginning or at the end. So whether it's at the beginning of your life, at the end of your life, he is the one who should be praised because he is. Not because what he does, as you'll see from the next time. 
So when a Muslim separates Allah for what he is and from what he does, then he has Tawheed. And when he doesn't separate, then he doesn't have Tawheed in the pure sense. He has a little bit of Tawheed. <laughs> There's a little bit of shirk that, you know. If Allah gives me money, then I worship him. If Allah doesn't give him money, then I'm not happy with him. That's not the way you worship someone. You worship someone independent of what he does, simply because he is. That is how Muslims have worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how the Sahaba also worshipped. So it didn't matter whether they were in, in Mecca or Medina or during the time of the four Khulafa, where they were still going through trial and tribulation, they were still worshipping him. They didn't back down. We worship him because he is. Not because what he does. If you say that we should worship Allah for what he does, then the Prophet should not have worshipped him at all. Neither in the beginning nor at the end. Why? Because there's really nothing except trial and tribulation in the Prophet life. The moments of glory in the seer of the Prophet are few. And the moments of persecution and uh, distress are many. So we take a lesson from his seer and say, look, in the beginning and in the end, the Prophet ﷺ was asked to worship him. So in the first instance, Ya ayyuhul muzzammil, qumil layla illa qalila. O muzzammil, the one that has been uh, donned a cloak, uh, stand at night and worship Allah. And at the end of his life, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصُرُ اللَّهِ الْفَتْحِ وَرَيْذَ النَّاسِ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينَ اللَّهِ فَوَالِيَ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدَ رَبِّكُ وَاسْتَقْفِرُ When everybody comes in Islam, he makes tasbih of Allah and he seeks forgiveness. So whether in the beginning or whether in the end you say Allahu Akbar, you say Alhamdulillah. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ Make tasbih of his praise in the beginning and also in the, in the end where the Prophet ﷺ enacted this ayah to his perfection. So this ayah is not simply information which is theological. This ayah was then, as I said, perfected and enacted by the Prophet ﷺ to show others that this is the way you apply this understanding of Allah's hamd and praise, independent of what He is doing for you that day. And to Him alone belongs the command and governance and everything else that goes along with life. And then, to Him alone you will be returned. So you will be questioned eventually by Allah and only Allah. No one else will question you. So, eventual judgment is Allah's and the right to be worshipped exclusively is also Allah's. So, you worship Allah here so that He will judge you favorably there. If you don't worship Allah here, He may not favor you on the day of judgment. This is how you take care of these ayat, which now uh, we, we are trying to understand how the Prophet would have understood it. Right? What did it mean to the Prophet as this ayah was being revealed? Now, it was not revealed in a vacuum. He was going through trial. What trial? He lost Abu Talib. He lost his only support in the Quraysh. So what does that do to a person? Except say, oh, 
what's going to happen to me now. Who is going to support me? No one will support me. Everybody's disowned me, and there were only a few Sahaba around him at that time. And even those who were around him could not protect him totally from the shenanigans of the Quraysh and the other prophets. Historically, outside of the Quran, he's left in limbo. So he couldn't afford the luxury of saying, why did God do this to me? Why have you forsaken me? He didn't have that. What did he have? La ilaha illallah. There is no God except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you stand in your worship. And you ask him to help you. And you make tawbah and istighfar and all of that. And this is how we see the Islamic model of resisting okay, the temptation to blame God at the time of trial and tribulation. This comes from Musa salam's life and Musa salam's story where at every stage Musa salam also uh, did the same thing. As he left Firaun the first time, uh, he fled and went to the wilderness and eventually ended up in uh, Madian. He did not complain except that he blamed himself. He blamed himself for his uh, discretion indiscretion and then he went and asked for Allah's fuddle and his khair after which things happened but even then when things happened he still had to toil in the desert for 8 years and 10 years and struggle with a family uh, that was very hard on money so he raised and grazed their cattle and their sheep and their flock for 8 years as an agreement uh, with his father-in-law to marry one of his daughters and that is how we see that uh, prophets, والسلام, they bear, okay, not only patience, but also they bear the burden of uh, being, <coughs> being very restraining at the time of difficulties. So at the time of difficulties, uh, prophets, they turn to Allah. Uh, at the time of joy, the prophets turn to Allah. In the beginning and the end, so what, it doesn't matter which situation you are in, as the Prophet said, I'm amazed with the affair of a believer that if he is faced with a difficulty, he is patient and then he is rewarded. And if he is faced with goodness, then he is grateful and he is rewarded. So whether you're in difficulty and you're patient, Allah rewards you. And you're in good times, prosperity, and you thank Allah, you're rewarded. So what's the end result? You're rewarded both times. On this time, it's mu'min, that I am amazed with the affair of the believer. Believer means the one who believes in Allah. The one who believes in Allah's abilities to do this and do that. So the one who creates goodness for you is the same one who creates what? Difficulty for you. So there the shirk is where that oh, Allah must only give me goodness. Uh, if He gives me goodness, then I worship Him. That is the shirk. Why? Because now you're just associating yourself uh, from Allah's ability to create uh, distress in your life and tests in your life also. So we believe in a complete Lord, comprehensive Lord, who has the prerogative, ikhtiyar, to do this and to do this. So whichever one is thrown our way, we are happy with it in the sense that we will still remain constant 
and firm in worshipping Allah. But if it is good, we will say Alhamdulillah, and we will share that. And if it is not good, we will say whatever we need to say and bear that trial and tribulation with uh, patience. <coughs> As the Quran says, that when they are afflicted with any difficulty, what do they say? Inna lillahi wa inna Whenever any calamity, disaster befalls a person who is a believer, then they will say, we belong to Allah, and it is to him alone that we will return. So then they, what do they do? They exclude authority of their own, and they say, only Allah has exclusive rights over me. That's how you tackle, psychologically. This is psychology at a very different level. Uh, where, where, where you are going to acquiesce to the, the nature of your life around you, with your surroundings. Okay. Now, when you assume that you are God, then if things don't happen the way you do, then who do you blame? God. Right? The, the anarchy and the arrogance of man. I don't want God to be involved in this decision of mine. But if I make the wrong decision, I'll blame him. That's what we end up doing. So this lesson is from the story of Musa and the seer of the Prophet where we, 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 we are better off conceding to the might and power authority of Allah than to demonstrate a rebellion and rejection of Allah's might and authority. Because it doesn't matter how loudly we demonstrate against Allah, He will still remain Allah. Nothing's going to happen. If you shout loud enough against your spouse, at your spouse, or your children, or your parents, or the community, something might happen. Why? Because you might be able to change their point of view and sway their minds in your favor either by force or whatever the reason or whatever the matters. But it doesn't matter if everybody in the planet, God forbid, says we don't believe in God, will that change his Godship? No. He will still remain God. <laughs> As the Hadith Qudsi says, uh, through the words of Abu Dhar Ghifari, quoting the Prophet وسلم, who quotes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in which he says, oh my servants, if all of you got together Jinn and ins, human beings and the jinn, on one platform, and decided to worship me all together. It will not increase my kingdom at all. And O son of Adam, or, or my servants, if all of you got together on one platform, all the jinn, all the ins, and decided that they will not worship Allah at all for a moment, it will not decrease my kingdom whatsoever. He remains Allah. So, fighting with God is not a solution. Uh, at least acquiescing to the Lordship of God will bring you some solace, some comfort when you are down, when you are depressed, or when you are in trouble. And then worshipping Allah will bring you the best felicity, uh, contentment. Uh, Allah knows what I'm going through and whatever he decides. But, we will exercise our volition to come out of it. Meaning, I have the ability to do something about it, I will do so. I will not rely on fate. No, God will take care of it. No. Then, you go with your volition, your, your ability to change, 
uh, whatever circumstances you can change and then you make dua if Allah accepts your dua in this world Alhamdulillah and if he doesn't accept your dua in this world he will accept your dua in the other world as the Prophet said right? this is how we see all of this coming together through the story of Musa and the seer of the Prophet Jazakumullah thank Allah for this uh, guidance and we make sure Allah allows us to do what pleases him the best in this world and in the world hereafter. I mean. Ya Rabbil Alameen, Sallallahu Ta'ala, Al-Khirafatul Muhammad, Wa Ali, Wa Sallallahu Ta'ala, Al-Khirafatul Muhammad, Wa Ali, Wa Sallallahu Ta'